Welcome back to Being Invested with me, Susanna Nicklin. This is the podcast about the personal stories of the people who make the markets. Today's episode shines a light on some of the most critical and thorny aspects of early stage and growth investing, with particular emphasis on processes and human interactions as the engines of great returns. My guest is Mike Reed, founder and senior partner at Frog Capital here in London. For full disclosure, I have the pleasure of working with Mike as a non-executive director of Frog, so I get to see Mike in action and can vouch that all he says is true, and that he literally walks the walk in selecting people to work with. When I was being interviewed to join the board, Mike suggested he would come out to the town where I live so we could go for a walk to get better acquainted. I thought it was a brilliant way for both of us to figure out if it was a good fit. On any board, you've got to be sure you would choose to be in the trenches with your fellow directors. Mike is one of those rare breeds in the sometimes dry world of finance. He always makes time for the important in-person conversation and brings relentless curiosity, readiness to learn, and can detect anything phony a mile off. You will hear Mike mention a portfolio company, Evotix, in our conversation. And since we recorded this earlier in the year, Frog has successfully sold Evotix, generating a 3.2 times return and a 46% IRR. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you do too. Thank you so much for listening to Being Invested. And if you like the podcast, please stay tuned for future episodes monthly and spread the word. Hello, and welcome back to Being Invested. My guest today is Mike Reed, founder and senior partner of Frog Capital, based in London. Frog invests growth capital in software scale-ups in the UK and Europe. Mike is an expert at building relationships, identifying great, fast-growing companies, negotiating attractive deals, and helping these companies succeed in the critical and sometimes perilous growth phase. His stated approach is less stress, higher productivity, lower wasted cash burn, and awesome returns for everyone involved. By the age of 14, Mike had lived in Kenya, Nigeria, the UK, Thailand, and Australia, and commuted back and forth between Melbourne and school in Oxford six times a year. Rapid, unpredictable change amongst a wide range of cultures was and still remains relatively normal to him. Mike graduated from Bath University and started investing in 1996. He spent 13 years at 3i, gaining not only a track record, but experience of all stages of private equity, from startups to mature profit-making buyouts, along with a powerful network and cohort of others who earned their stripes at 3i. With that foundation, he saw the opportunity in growth equity, especially in software, and this is how he came to launch Frog Capital in 2009. Frog focuses only on companies that have a clear net positive impact on society with high growth potential, proven revenues, and profitability. Mike loves innovation and technology, and he understands the scale-up stage better than anyone else I've met. He brings this expertise to bear both in making good investments and making investments good. He has sat on many private company boards and also plays a catalytic and enthusiastic role with involvement across the venture ecosystem in the UK. Mike, welcome, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Susanna. 
So, Mike, let's start with your journey as an investor and the founder of an asset management company. You started your career really in the broader private equity world in, uh, with 3i, which was a rich entree into the investing landscape. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, and I feel really privileged to have joined the industry at that time. Uh, and by the way, despite doing a business administration degree, um, I actually had no idea what private equity was when I applied to 3i. Um, but it sounded great and I'm delighted I did it. But yes, 3i at that time was very active across the UK, right from early, early stage VC and what we would call today kind of growth capital. And then 3i were pioneers actually in creating the buyout product. And so was very active in the those days and still is around uh, majority led buyouts and in fact, management, um, public to privates and things like that. So as a younger investor at that time, two things were really important. One was I was lucky to be part of teams doing deals across that range and, and leading deals across that range of product type. And the other piece, 3i was a sort of larger in this market business, sort of five, 600 people at that time. But actually, we were a very regionally diverse business. So the team doing deals was, in my case, a local Bristol, Southwest UK team. And we had a fantastic team of only six to seven people. So uh, I had that benefit of a sort of umbrella organization, but actually, which I'll come on to, is really, really key in our industry to seeing the kind of intricacies of a small team working really effectively together. How did that lead into choosing to pursue growth capital particularly? And I guess in particular, I'm interested in, are there ways of thinking or perspectives or personal qualities that are suited to the kind of investing you do? And and did you map yourself effectively to that in some way? I was definitely sort of instinct led. So a couple of dimensions are interesting. One was around my interest in innovation and technology, which um, I hadn't really appreciated because I, I don't come from, my family doesn't come from that background, but I've always been fascinated by innovation and technology. And therefore, as 3i specialized, it was very natural to me that, for example, I didn't really want to go and work with the big buyout team, even though that probably would have been financially more lucrative because I'd done buyouts, you know, managing a large manufacturing group and leveraging it up, etc. What wasn't really, it was interesting, but not, not really my bag. Famously, Charlie Munger has said that a lot of people with high IQs are terrible investors and that raw, irrational emotion needs to be kept under control. And I'm, I'm aware that the private market investing that you do, it maybe isn't the daily roller coaster that some equity market investing might be, but I'm interested to know how you see emotion playing a role in the investing that you do and have how you've seen that you know, either helping or hindering over over your career. Yeah, and I think this is really at the core of the whole the whole subject of of any investment sort of discussion is is actually how are those investment decisions made? How do the human brains come together and actually conclude around those? And anybody who thinks that emotion is not going to be part of that process is crazy because um, of course human beings are emotional beasts. So I think number one is kind of self-awareness, both at the individual level, but also at the team level, that emotion does play a part, whether it be conscious or subconscious. And it plays a part very much leading up to an investment decision. If we just simplistically take um, an investment committee as the sort of decision-making forum, then I've not seen or 
method of sort of any um, investment committee working in exactly the same way. So you have all these hundreds of different private equity capital firms and, the, and their investment culture, the number of people around the table, the content, they're all slightly different. Um, so there is no winner-takes-all model, which is, to me, fascinating in this arena where we, we're sort of we're, you know, developing kind of in, and innovating everywhere else. So that that process of investing decision-making has always been a passion of mine. And at Frog, um, together with my partners and my non-exec partners, you know, are constantly looking at what's working in that process and tweaking things. And so, for example, we've, um, over the years, done a lot of work around the content of the material, so particularly around uh, management team judgment you know how good is the management team where are the where are the strengths and weaknesses and all that kind of stuff and so content of that piece then of course the meeting itself how does that work and so getting the uh, back to your question around the emotions or objectivities of people in the meeting then there's a structure of how that can be you know you can go from one dominate you know a meeting dominated by a single individual who says well you know here's a deal that uh, Susanna's proposing I really like it does everybody agree which is obviously going to lead to most people going yes boss yeah we all support that deal so there's there's a whole range of detailed sort of both content and processes. And then even then there's more, you know, in our process, there's two investment committees, one earlier on in the process, which sort of sets the terms and saying, right, should we be doing this deal? What kind of due diligence we want to do? And then of course, there's a due diligence phase and then a final IC typically for any private equity venture capital. And that's again, a, fine, a fascinating piece because of course, that's where any deal leading team is over the tip. I would call it, you know, of course, if you've done due diligence and you've invested so much time and effort and you like the management team, you, you've really got to find something really, really bad to, to stop you. And so culturally, how does a firm introduce an, a really objective final IC? Because, of course, you, it, it turns into very much a sort of sales pitch around, you know, here's the deal team feeding back. And as a participant in that process who's not on the deal team, it can feel quite imposing because ultimately... Can you say no, uh, ultimately, in that conversation, etc.? So, number one, really fascinating area. And then also really interesting to go back, which we've done a lot at Frog, is to go back for our successes, but also our not-so-good uh, investments and say, right, okay, how did we do on the investment? Would we have done it differently? How can we learn and, and get that feedback loop working? And you mentioned sort of the teamwork process in that. How do you reconcile, as I've seen um, you mentioned in the past, the the values of speed and focus in investing. How do you balance that with teamwork and and are there ever conflicts there or, or and how do you balance those? So yeah, when you say the word speed, it sort of strikes terror into my heart because speed and investment decision making don't really go together. And so that is a really important, um, I'm, I'm a big believer in terms of particularly chair people of investment committees. I think that's a really vital role. In our case, we're big believers in, we have a non-executive chair, as you know, of our investment committee, a lady called Sonia Power, that enables the group to, even if you're having to move at speed, for example, and the best example is uh, further investments into venture or growth capital firms or even private equity, where, where the business is not performed to plan, uh, the business needs more money, 
these are typically decisions that need to um, be made at speed because the consequences are particularly, you know, could be traumatic for the uh, value of the existing stake. So I think even just the acknowledgement of at the meeting of people saying, right, we're moving at speed here. Is this, you know, do we need more time? You know, just this sort of like time to rise above the decision, as it were, because ultimately the, the the biases that are coming into the room are very strong, which is, look, I'm desperate to get a bit more money to go into my portfolio company because I don't want it to go bust. And other people around the table may have the same view or because they don't want to report a change in valuation of the fund. Or there might be other people in the table saying, well, this is the third time we've done this. We can't be supporting this company again. And how, how do you get a, a dispassionate, non-emotional debate about that is um, is challenging. So if I hear you correctly, embedded in that is the belief that actually having a gun to your head with a, a time, you know, a, a clock ticking is actually a negative influence in a in an investment decision generally. I'd say it's, it's likely to be a negative. But of course, you know, like in running any organization, you know, you sometimes a lot of the time you need to do things at speed. So it's not necessarily denying that, gosh, we can't do things at speed. It's actually just acknowledging we are moving at speed and therefore the consequences may be X, Y, Z. And therefore let's discuss X, Y, Z and just double check and maybe think about. So I, th- I think there's that sort of theme around ultimately rising above the, the, the investment process and analyzing the machinery of decision making because, because ultimately what's critical is the individuals because you're typically talking about a small number of individuals. So what ingredients have you got? Have you got, if we take a simple cooking analogy, have you got lots of just the same ingredient, lots of lots of sweet things, or have you got a mixture around the table? And obviously, certainly in our view, what you're trying to optimize is enough different views, different experiences, different personality types in a room making decisions, but not so different that they can never agree. And then the other challenging piece, of course, is culture and the softness of, of culture and values around a belief system in a, in a company, I believe, is is right. We're actually overall in the firm all going in the same direction. So ultimately, we're all aligned in trying to make the best decision, whereas any firm of any size, but particularly larger ones, can get quite fractional and tactical very, very quickly, in my experience, um, where ultimately people are saying, well, this this decision-making is just about getting the deal through. You know, we want to do the deal, right? What are the tactics of just getting the deal through rather than a, right, we think this is a really good deal. We know the people around the table are really smart and experienced. Let's let's put it through the rigor of that process together because then together we'll come out with the with the best conclusion, whether that be not doing the deal or doing the deal. So you've learned a, a huge amount about the process of investing over your career and and actually are really introducing that into the systems and structures at Frog. And I'm interested in knowing what you've also learned about yourself. You know, it's you, you, self-awareness, as you just said, is so important to step back and, and look at these things. And I'm interested to understand, you know, what has what has been most surprising, I guess, or most uh, important that you've learned about yourself to grow as an investor over over the last couple of decades? Yeah, that's a really big one. So I think the oddly enough, the one of the biggest I think is a realization that um, luck has a huge amount to play in investing, and anyone who denies that is is so so. You know, I've seen 
seen an incredible array of situations are you know you know speeding deals which went extremely well which which i would be i think fairly claiming some form of credit for but really thinking yes i made you know, it was part of making the call but did i know it was going to go that well and can i take credit for um of course not and then equally sometimes things don't go well um so and the stresses and strains of, of that so so i think while certainly not saying you know it's basically a casino and you just sort of throw throw things um at the wall but i think it's it is an interesting sort of right you know over over period you will build a track record if you really deploy stuff that means you can cope with the knocks uh the, the failures the challenges as you go along but hopefully learn from those but also kind of be calm about your successes because yes they were great but don't let it get to your head because you know a, a lot of that success and of course in the technology arena you know with with such sort of um ups and downs in the market you know you see some extraordinary exits which which of course you know i've known stories where literally if the business had been going six months later it probably would have gone back so h- how do you rationalize you know literally a nine-month window meant the, di- the difference between hero status and a and a kind of a, a credibly uh, high performing fund and an actually complete failure and a poor performing fund which probably would have been the end of the firm so so that sort of awareness that look life just throws throws stuff at you and then i think the sort of learning personal learning is okay so what um where do you want to invest in yourself and how and how do you want to develop your own personal kind of approach to this and i call it an approach rather than my own personal investment strategy because i think certainly with with frog it's um it's the, it's a large part of my approach has been who do i make those decisions with i definitely prefer being part of uh, making a decision with a with a group of people who have a much more diverse and different set of views of which i'm one um and that's that's what we've been working here and i think that ultimately makes better decisions it's it's more complicated it's more challenging um but it's it's better and therefore the learning is choosing those people back to what i've said before there there are a diverse set of people so therefore um it takes a lot of work to work with people who are very different to you um so so that's been sort of massive learning um and uh, particularly uh, um, uh i think my my kind of advice to young younger players in industry building let's say teams would be you know you you're really looking to attract uh, and work with people who are brighter than you um better than you in certain ways um and therefore it's it's challenging to work with them um but that's that's the measure of quality um you're getting something really really high quality and really diverse which ultimately you will be thankful for later thinking gosh i would have pushed ahead and done that deal or i was too conservative and i wouldn't have done that deal and the, and the, and the best decisions are those where you think well actually the team came together and really made made a fantastic call as you thrash things out with a diverse group of people who are by the sound of it and i've seen this in action actually you know really great at eliciting you know the the core juicy reflective intelligent inputs that people can bring to the conversation um and really different perspectives being uh welcomed how do you then find the way through to the decisive moment of 
actually, what is it that you're going to rely on to make a decision when it isn't black and white? Or are you in the privileged position in some cases because of the earlier work that you're doing that you're really only taking hell yeses? Or are you having to weigh up you know, con- competing evidence as you're making a choice with, with people advocating for different things and bringing different um, different perspectives to the table. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think the one reflection is the decisions that are sort of like so obvious. Um, everybody's just sort of thinking, yeah, this is a this is a no-brainer. We all love this. Let's just crack on. Um, we definitely self-reflect and say, hang on, that those are the ones that are most dangerous because it's it's, it's it clearly means you know even our diverse group of thinkers are, are all thinking the same thing as in no one with a different view so much so that um, um, one of the attributes piece of content we put into our papers now is a deliberate devil's advocate section so that the a section um, uh, typically uh, filled in by people who are not so close in the deal team to, to actually argue against the deal in the paper. Why shouldn't we do this deal? Um, really succinct. And I think for, you know, that's a really just simple, but really interesting way just to ensure on any decision, there's a, a diversity of thought. Um, the second thing is, um, yeah, investment, investment committees are, um, can can waste a lot of time talking about stuff that everybody agrees on. Um, so that's not the point, you know. If, if there's certain things that, um, um, that you know, let's say the market, um, you know, you can, you can, you know, people will chew up like 20 minutes talking about how great this market is when everybody's sitting around the table saying, "Yeah, we know that. We're all in for that." That's not the, that's not the area of contention. Um, and the word contention is is the big word is a big word in frog. You know, that's that's what we train ourselves on around being comfortable with contending. So it's not quite quite as far as arguing. And, and really falling out, but it's definitely a movement on from, yeah, I'm definitely contending with you, Susanna. Um, I have a different view and we need to thrash it out kind of thing. And there, I think back to the what I was saying previously, I think that's where the chair of the meeting has a really, really vital role. Number one, the, the vital role is to get to the, the areas of contention as fast as possible, because that's where the valuable time of an investment committee should be spent. And then getting into, you know, really being clear around what the point of contention is, because a lot of the time people can misunderstand those. And then getting that sort of atmosphere in the group to say, right, this contention is not an attack. Um, uh, back to your point around emotions, because equally, you know, a deal team or people with opposing views can sometimes, particularly when they're under pressure and stress, sort of feel that, okay, I'm now under attack. I need to defend defend the situation and and prove that your contention is is flawed and coming from the wrong place. And again, the chair and the atmosphere and the culture of a firm is trying to say that that's, that's, there's no there's no value in that sort of attack defense piece, but there is value in a kind of um, a kind of open, less low low emotion, more analytical. Um, understanding of the contention, and then the pros and cons of the contention from from all parties, and then obviously trying to chair, bring something to a conclusion, and say right, like it or not, we need to come to a debate and, and conclusion, um, and whether we hopefully we can do that by um, by debate, but if not, we have to make a, a vote on it, um, and uh, and because we we need to bring it to a close. So I think that whole 
arena is incredibly rich and and um and can fall foul for so many reasons whether it be small things like petty politics of an organization so having a really excellent chair of the investment committee i think is a skill set in itself and uh yeah it's it's great that frog does have such an excellent chair of the investment committee because as you say it's so vital and and just going to motivation um really interested to hear as an investor, you've also chosen to invest in growing a business. So it's not just the underlying investments you're investing in, but also the business that you're growing. And I'd be really interested to hear how your motivations over your career have changed. You reflected earlier that maybe going into large cap buyouts would have been more lucrative over time, but really wasn't at all what you were interested in. And, you know, there's a, clearly there's a, you know, something driving you besides, you know, just, just the big numbers. So I'm wondering, you know, if you could talk about motivation and, and, and what's been driving you to build Frog. Part, part of it is iterative. You know, so, you know, you, you just focus on the next thing. You know, don't overcomplicate uh, life. Just, you know, do what you feel is right. And uh, so there's a piece around that. And I think that's um, one element around building what I we've really felt is a first-class expert firm around what we do and that looking for that constant innovation, um, but being really proud around the building blocks we put in place and, so that's that's clearly been one area. I think the whole field of you know growing a company, particularly a high growth technology company, from around sort of 50, 60 people to up towards and beyond five hundred people, is in my view one of the toughest things you can do. If we don't talk about sort of medicine and all, all really really complex things, um, but that is a massive um, leadership challenge. Huge change going on. You know, companies doubling in size every every two or three years. Um, you know, so, so I think the personally, you know, it's a never-ending kind of um, journey around learning. What can we learn as, as Frog to help entrepreneurs who are going along that journey with with that um, with that journey is 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 a real passion of mine, uh, and I really enjoy as I'm a curious person, really enjoy not just the techie elements of that, but the people elements around. You know, winning business, marketing, sales, customer success. You know, product management, engineering, development, um, strategy, board governance, um, finance, analytics. Um, you know, the whole range of stuff that we we just have a long list at Frog of things we want to kind of um, do good content out, share with that with our community. Then I think the other piece is the learnings we've just already talked about around um, honing and continuing to develop a culture and values and set of behaviors and processes, et cetera, within a, a management firm, which is really tough to do. Um, and then the final area, which we haven't really touched on, of course, is around fundraising yourself. You know, fund management firm is is, is a fund management firm. It's meant to manage funds. So you, you need to, uh, to raise funds and appeal to people. And, and that's another hugely bizarre world of, of selling a vision, um, presenting process, um, you know, managing that kind of um, process of attracting and, and converting funds. Um, uh, and that's that's quite a, a whole new sphere because ultimately investors don't, many investors haven't been a GP. And so so they they buy certain things you think they maybe, sh- they sh- maybe should be looking a little bit deeper sometimes because um, you're so proud of, 
the intricacies of what I just talked about. But um, but a lot lot of lot of investors aren't that close. They don't appreciate what you think is 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 um, better. So you need, but I need, you know, have have really learned that actually understanding investors better and and understanding what their needs are and how frog can fit and solve some of their needs is another whole different ball game um and it's 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 a massive skill difference to setting deals and appealing to entrepreneurs so it's it's actually fascinating to me how how those you know those two those um different elements try and combine and live together yeah, it sounds like there's a you know really vast amount of sort of personal growth that takes place um, in seeing how other investors look at you as an investor. And then I think the other piece is really interesting is around it's so difficult to remember what you don't know. You didn't know when you were younger. Um, uh, so I always, when I first joined the industry, my I had a fantastic boss um, called Alice uh, when I first joined. Um, and uh, she was laughing because when she first joined the industry, she just um, heard that it was really important that companies had a uh, production manager. Uh, so, so she just said, literally in the first of a few months, she, that's all she used to ask. She, yeah, people she bring up, I'm looking to raise so and so money or whatever, and she just think, okay, but so do you have a production director? And they, <laughs> and of course, they <laughs> like like the most ridiculous question but but it's it's sort of um there to point out that you know once you've been investing for a long time it's very difficult to unlearn and therefore to try and um help you know more uh up-and-coming individuals through the organization around training around what what does a good deal look like etc um so so we've we at frog have really tried to sort of systemize um partly to stop wasting time talking about deals we're never going to do but also to help um people who are joining us really get get effective very quickly say right we've got you know a 23 criteria assessment framework for any deal we're looking at at the early stage and have a sort of rag analysis um the red amber green analysis of of you know right from management team um product market fit the size of market acquirers in the field um terms of the deal syndicates all these kind of stuff to to kind of um um accelerate that journey to say okay what 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 does good look like um for someone who's kind of just entering and starting their journey um in the industry because it's it's not easy if we could turn to a specific example of an investment perhaps that might illustrate maybe what you've called your own pragmatic optimism uh, as an approach to life um, or how how one's lens that you look at your mindset um, impacts your ability to to see great opportunities and in and and influence others to pursue them is there something that comes you know an example of an investment that comes to mind that that maybe you're particularly proud of or or learned a lot from or or uh you know just was a was a great story that re- reflects some personal connection that you had to it yeah um yeah there is there's, there's a there's a whole range um more recently quite a good example is a business called ebitix which is um uh first deal of ours and our second fund uh, and is still still very much with us. Um, so it's not uh, hasn't been a sort of um, success uh, in in a sense yet. But um, it's one I'm really proud of in a way because um, uh, it was 
a very unknown business. Um, it's, in, it's in the area of health and safety um, software. Um, so it was in at the time of particularly sort of unsexy area. And the uh, and the CEO Matthew is um, a, a sort of, as as he said himself a very very bright guy, but a very much more of a sort of introverted um, uh, personality profile compared to your your, your typical um, typical CEOs. Um, and so I think the elements there is around. Um, I think at the time we were kind of thinking, yeah, looks quite interesting, but there were also quite a lot of reasons why. We, we might not have done the deal um and there's quite a lot of contention in our process around um uh lots of reasons for sort of potentially just not not taking the opportunity up etc um, um but we did and uh and i'm just really proud of kind of how um a whole combination of, of pieces you know around um, right at the core of it Math- matthew's leadership of the business but um um in amongst that has been matthew's um balance of being able to um, analyze things um, on his own and really trust his own um, approach to kind of assessing and really scrutinizing situations in much more depth um, than than maybe I've seen elsewhere. Uh, there may be problems with the sales team or problems with the marketing machine or et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also combined with that, are just a really strong open interest to, to get other people's views around solutions to these so he's he's brought in a really good chairman a guy called martin fincham and he's um he's really engaged amazingly with our operating partner team um really drawing them in either right at the beginning problems to help him um you know design a solution or analyze the, the, the problem or or to double check what he's uh, he's been doing and i think um um that ultimately has has really led to fantastic growth in the business which is great to measure it from a uh, from a financial perspective but also at the same time you know he's built a really purpose-led business you know it's 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 he's genuinely very passionate about um how horrific some of the stats are around uh, workplace deaths and injuries um particularly in the in north america in the us has become very infectious in a positive way um around his team um who who really you know the, it's 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 a business that's making a massive impact on the world and it's in its own way um the right from product design you know um and making making celebrating and making health and safety um executives in the world much more positive maybe than they've been perceived as before and much more influential and much more uh, impactful on the companies that they they work in so so yeah i think it's a really um good case study in terms of not only his leadership of the business but our and his um joint work which comes back to um all of that stuff that we've been talking about. It reflects, you know, exactly what you've been talking about, about the sort of multiple perspectives that can, you know, if you see things slightly differently, you can see gems, you can see value that maybe wasn't immediately obvious. Really fascinating. And do you, looking back before we look forward, are there qualities that you're seeing in yourself or in your peers in the investing world that are really important today that maybe weren't so important when you started and what would they be and and what what's shifted i guess in the the practice of investing and of course yours is private market investing but um maybe you rub shoulders with others and have observations on that well i think one one factor that's maybe more relevant in the 
more innovation um, arena, technology and and med, probably med um, med tech and uh, bio, biotech, etc. As well, but any, uh, I think it's really unusual and probably a podcast on its own. Is you know the the more experience you have, the um, the the more challenging it is because you've got too much information, you've got too much memories, and therefore that affects your ability to take risk. Um, so uh, that's a really interesting field because you're thinking, well, it is as you get to my stage, thinking I can think of a million reasons why every business is going to fail. For a certain personality types, that can be um, either hugely stressful or, or just you know gets them to the conclusion they can't really do any deal um, because because the 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 process of thinking, well, this might fail and that might reflect badly on me. Um, so I think that's a fascinating area because, of course, then if you swing too far the other way, then then you have a lot of people say, "Well, they take any risk." That's really interesting. And it, how how do you deal with that? How do you harness the wisdom that you've gleaned over the years, but remain open to taking risks? I guess the straight answer is we're back round to the mixture of the people in the room. So kind of that process, sort of trust, trust, having a. A, a framework together as as a team, um, as well as thinking about your, yourself. Then, then having your own personal self process. You know, what have I learned, and, and so what do I personally like in in terms of deals, and what do I watch around, and how do I blend those learnings I had from my kind of difficult cases to to pass into my kind of newer newer cases. But then ultimately, back to the point of a little bit around the luck bit we were talking about is look, your job, you are employed. By your, well, you you raise money from from people who who backed your strategy, so you're employed to get on with the strategy. So you're not employed to sit around looking at deals all day and and turning them all down. So for, for the ones you believe in, you should pull the trigger and, and get on with it. I think another piece is really interesting at the other end of the scale is when do you sell? You've kind of got the the flip side of the um, you know the discussion on the exits where. Some round the table, we're right, we've got the chance to exit now. You know, you don't get that um, so often, so we should grab it. And 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 I think in times we've maybe been a little bit too aligned to that because, of course, we were building our track record and there wasn't a devil's advocate in our process to say, well, hold on a minute, let's just hear the argument to say, why are we selling now? You know, what if round the corner when something else happened? And um, that that's also been a sort of fascinating learning curve where, we probably haven't had the kind of structured debate that we kind of focus on 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 the uh, on the incoming side of things. We touched a little bit on on looking back and now looking forward. Are there are there areas of, of sort of personal growth or um, you know uh, uh, goals that that from where you are right now are still motivating to you? Um, family and tra- training and development um, of of the broader team because I've definitely been parts of um, my career where where my family was not supportive of the firm I was working for because because partly because of my fault because I was trying to do too much to push my way or they were asking too much sometimes etc and it's incredibly stressful for the individual and it's def- usually hidden that you don't see etc. So, so trying to number one as an individual, as maybe a younger person coming up, you know, actually being accountable for that and managing to balance the holistic view of life is really important. Um, and your partner, hopefully, and family are the permanent feature of that life, whether you work for X, Y, Z company. So, 
don't lose that otherwise you you really are in a, in a different place um and then have that dialogue with the firm hopefully and if you can't have that dialogue with the firm or the partners or your boss etc then you're probably working for the wrong the wrong team so that's a um a big area particularly in an aggressive investment world of returns and all this sort of slightly stuff um can can definitely be run roughshod over um and then finally, maybe linked to that is is training and development, and um, and particularly, I think uh, the industry tends to focus on more harder skills, if you want to call that. So, kind of, you know, modelling, um, you know, all, all stuff like that, which is which is important. But actually, um, and it's one thing where I was very lucky at Three I, where there was a huge focus on soft soft issues around relationship building building trust with 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 individuals ceos chair people other investors building a relationship so you can have the right to then have challenge and and get your point through and uh, in an uh, you know an unemotional uh, env- you know, environment and influencing and winning trust and you know because because people you know entrepreneurs are you know, they're marrying investors and so, therefore, uh, it's a long-term relationship. So, whilst the price of the deal, et cetera, is really important, ultimately, when they wake up or go to bed at night, they'll be thinking, "Who do I want to, you know, be? Who who do I want to have to call when the quarter didn't quite go so well?" Um, you know, they want to, they want to, they want to sort of be ringing people they get on with and they can trust, and um, and and so, therefore, that whole softer piece is um, less easy to teach, but um, but. Is a really key key area to to keep, keep honing uh, the whole of your career. And I have really seen that in how you've built Frog and the way you operate, um, Mike. And the and I'm I'm taking from that as sort of um, you know drawing in the authenticity of relationships across all aspects, you know, of of the people you work with, both as a as a key element of a decision to invest in a team. Um, the management team understanding the communication and the, the 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 realness of them, their their personal circumstances and their commitment and who they are as people, and then of course, you know the the team at Frog. Uh, it, what you've just said is really important: is recognizing we're all parts of bigger puzzles, and that those pieces need to be in place and and be you know solid. No, big time, and you can. You, I mean, there's a lot more focus on diversity and inclusion stuff like that right now, which is which is absolutely right, and it's um, it's great for that because you you can there's more measurability in a way around how a culture people are more have keener eye around. Let's say, well, why are certain people only staying a short time in your firm um, and leaving, and what does that say about your culture? Um, one I find really interesting, even as a small firm, is you know. Um, when someone goes on maternity leave, you know, and they have you know one or two children, um, and they tell more don't come back to to you. When they do come back to you, to me, I'm, I'm immensely proud. To say, well, okay, you know, we must have something right because that's not an easy process to come back into a business when you've been out and then um, build up your uh, own sort of credibility in the team again and and feel to have that. So, um, so it's a really interesting phase now. I think there's more focus on it and more measurability, and and therefore I've seen much more as you say authentic cultures developing. Hopefully, looking forward in terms of the industry and what you've learned and and how you might harvest what you've learned for others. What what advice would you give to an aspiring investor and maybe 
particularly could I ask you to, you know, someone who doesn't really know which market to go into, you know, investment is a huge landscape and, and the skills and, and daily experience of investing as a, as an oil trader versus a, you know, mm. a, a long-term, uh, you know, early stage investor is very different, but what, what sort of advice to someone starting out with maybe not a, a really clear perspective of where they fit in and how their personality might um, map to the opportunity set. I think the most sort of useful advice I could give someone is maybe like, do you want to enjoy the idea of working closely with the management team and that side of things? Or, you know, actually, you're more enjoyment around the sort of the, the fund management or the kind of movement of money and the strategy of deploying money, etc. That's probably a big fork in the road, because one could take you more to sort of hedge funds or even debt funds or funder funds or and so th that's you know think of like very successful debt funds you know you're deploying big amount of big amounts of money but you're you're not really massively involved in the building of the business etc and then if you're more interested in that piece the first piece around engaging with teams and have a role there then then particularly in the early stage i would encourage people to one is to try and get experience in operational of a company whether that be whatever kind of company, but but definitely feel what it feels like in a operating company, because then it's hard to relate to if you if you don't have that sort of window. And then the second is 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 volume, because um, if you go and join a really interesting big buyout fund, you're probably going to do one deal a year if you're lucky, and and then you're probably going to be a certain bad carrier on that deal, so you're not going to get a great deal of access. You're actually probably a lot better to just throw yourself in and, and get in with um, someone who's much more smaller end, where you know there's there's a lot more craziness. You, you might end up making less money and not building a personal track record so much because it's a bit risky, but you will learn a lot more from difficult cases, high volume. You'll get much more own credit, uh, own. Um, responsibility to go do stuff um if 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 you're in that environment and therefore that holds you in high regard later on when you look to do whatever you want to do great advice um so we're just going to wrap up we're coming to the end here unfortunately i could talk for hours about this so so many interesting topics from from luck to the benefits of of diverse thinking to how you cope with um with with things that don't go so well and we have three quick fire questions that I'm going to throw at you to sort of give you give you a chance to reveal a little bit about yourself. Um, if you weren't an investor, uh, what what would you be? I would probably be someone in the kind of um, <laughs> uh, negotiation, um, kind of um, re dispute resolution. I like to be in the middle of things. Uh, I quite like working with people to resolve things. Hostage like negotiator? Don't think like I've got the guts for that, but uh, <laughs> I, I love the idea of that. Success, successful. <laughs> I did love yeah. uh, Never Split the Difference, one of my favorite books. So, yeah, maybe. What uh, is there a favorite, uh, speaking of, of books and films, a favorite film or novel that you've read more than once and loved and why? Um, so I'm rereading, uh, or should I say, listen to um, the, actually, you can see them all behind me, um, the Philip Kerr novels, uh, which is a um, story about, uh, yeah, about a um, detective, police detective during the, the rise of the Nazi regime in, in Germany, which is 
great character, fascinating history. Great. I don't know it. Thank you. Good good tip. And and what regular habit would you say is most useful to your well-being? Well, 100% my kids and my I would say my wife of course as well, but um I think I think being able to sort of um, shift out of your work mode into kind of just young, younger kids, youngsters generally. I mean, how invigorating! Um, not 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 with the worries of the world on their shoulders, worried about things that are oh, things to worry about, but they're typically small things, and that uh, that gives you fantastic perspective. Brilliant. Finally, what was the best recent meal you've had? Moroccan tagine in Agadir. Oh, uh, yeah. sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it and uh, really look forward to Maybe we'll have a round two sometime. Look forward to it, Susanna. Loved it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a million. for joining me for this episode of Being Invested. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. If so, please subscribe and tell your friends. Also, if you know someone in the financial markets who would make a great guest on the podcast, please message me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Many thanks to our sound engineer, Alexander Russell. Our art designer is Sophie Hardy, and this fabulous catchy tune is from Tom McKeon. Thanks, folks, and see you next time.